the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The question is simple. How familiar are you with your God, with your Savior? Familiar enough to silence even the critics who are closest to you? Let's talk about that next on Abounding Grace. Here in the book of Job, he has some quote-unquote friends who try and correct his understanding of who God is based upon the circumstances surrounding him. The fact is, Job is not willing to allow circumstances to dictate what he is to believe of God. Therein lies the secret to what we're learning about here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Join us, won't you, as we continue our survey of the book of Job. Here's Pastor Gary now with today's broadcast. Man is always on the alert to silence those painful reminders in his life, usually with fun and games and pleasures or addictions. But all they really do is just numb their souls. And he has nowhere to turn when his troubles come. Because verse 24 They are like a king ready to battle against him. And we see this today. The incredible fear-mongering amongst us. If you even go to the most conservative news websites, it's unbelievable. They're just as biased as the liberal sites, posting snippets to create fear and reader interest or to create advertising revenue. Because you see, there is money in fear. And that is why we as Christians are to be fearful of nothing, of nothing, not even big, bad, big brother, not worldly order. Beloved, we have nothing to fear but God himself. Why is all of this? Verse 25, they are at war with God. And if we are at war with God and with our own conscience, guess what? No peace. And I know in my own life, and some of you can probably give testimony to this, in your younger years, when you were at war with God, you had no peace when you did not do what God said for you to do. Maybe you even grew up in a Christian home and knew that it was not the right thing to do, but you would not bend your will to God's. Maybe you gave lip service to it, but you would not bend. And inside, it was just like a war zone. Because you were haunted by Christ, and you had no peace in Him. So in verse 26, though, God sometimes makes His presence known by grabbing the wicked by the scruff of the neck. Verse 27, it matters how much fat covers Himself with. Fat. What does this possibly mean? It's economics. It's investment accounts. 
you know, we've seen like we see, we think that we have mastered them and that we've mastered science and that we've mastered technology. And we think we have we are insulated. After all, we're citizens of the United States of America, right? And we can escape these troubling times. God says, no, you can't. Verse 28, you will live in desolate cities. And by desolation, he doesn't mean actual rubble. He's saying they will be empty of all that is good and noble and healthy like many modern cities have become. Because verse 29, if a man is not rich toward God, his earthly riches are a curse to him and they will not last. And darkness and death will come to him. You know, Eliphaz had simply, if, if Eliphaz had simply said, this is the ultimate destiny of wickedness, we would have to say, Eliphaz, you are 100% right. Now listen to me. As we move down toward the end here, we cannot hear often enough that there is no future in sin. There is no reward for wickedness, only judgment and decay and death and destruction. But while it is true that the wicked are doomed, and this is where Eliphaz and Job and Job and us against Eliphaz have to part ways, because this isn't always true in history. Many people buy off their conscience and put them into a deadly slumber. Some of God's enemies are very biased and blasphemous, yet God seems to do nothing, and they even seem to prosper. The wicked have built great towering cities and they have sold their souls to the devil, yet they have prosperity that lasts a surprisingly long time. Why? Now this doesn't mean there's a reward for iniquity. It means something Eliphaz does not take into account and that is God takes care of all men. And never in this life does he give any single man, nation, culture, what they really deserve? But he delays the final judgment until the end. Why does he do this? It is so that every mouth will be stopped and that all the world will be guilty before God. And even while in hell, those who have enjoyed God's bounty on earth, while they are on the one hand gnashing their teeth against God because of where they are, on the other hand, they are compelled to confess that God was good to them. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. But we can't apply these lines to ourselves because, number one, God does hate sin, and he wages war against his enemies. So as Christians, we want to stay, of course, clear from sin and weep over our sins and repent of our sins. And second, and very important, we must possess our souls in patience. This is something that Aphas, Asaph struggled with in Psalm 73 when he said, Why do the wicked prosper? I mean, if God is God and He judges and He loves His people and He carries on a war with the wicked, why does it take so long? Why do the wicked sometimes get the upper hand and grow like a huge tree, as David said in Psalm 37? But Asaph, when he went into the house of God, 
and he heard God's word, he understood that God has put the wicked in slippery places. And that is why, beloved, we are to be regularly in the house of God so that God may teach us and encourage us with his own mouth by his word regularly the true end of sin. You know, celebrities, athletes, they're young, they're beautiful, most of the time half-clothed. And it seems like everything is going their way. But it's good for us to go back and to read once in a while and see what happened to the last generation of stars on the stage and in the field, as well as ungodly politicians, and, and then the generation before them. Because you will see, time after time after time, empty, rotting, lonely misery in the last years of their lives. Not counting what comes after life. Why? Because there is nothing. There's no reward or peace and rebellion against God. It doesn't matter how pretty you are. It doesn't matter if the whole world comes screaming after you. Beloved, it does not matter. You know, the whole world came screaming after John Lennon. And and in fact, they still scream after him. And they still scream after the Beatles. But John Lennon, right this minute, I'll bet my own soul on it, is in hell. It didn't do him any good. So for us, we have to say, we realize right now, our true sonship is hidden in Christ. Oh, we will have to suffer. We will be chastened so that we will bear the cross as we need to. But we must wait on the Lord. Because we know that a day of reckoning is coming. Well, Eliphaz concludes here, and so will we in verses 31 through 35, by basically giving Job a warning. First, he said, Job, verses 1 through 16, I charge you, you are a wicked man, ungrateful, blustering fool, impious. You won't receive God's conciliations. You're unclean. Verses 17 through 19, listen to me. Verses 20 through 30, you must be wicked. That's why these things are happening to you. And then he warns Job in verses 31 through 35. He says, Job, if you trust in vanity, that is what you're going to get. Vanity is going to be your reward. Frivolousness, worldly pleasures, self-love, narcissism. Is that, if that is what you trust in, that is what you will get. And that will happen before your time, Job. You're not even as old as I am, but look at you. Your branch is not green anymore, verse 32. God is shaking you, verse 33, like an unripe grape off of the vine. Why? Verse 34, the congregations of hypocrites shall be desolate. He's calling Job a hypocrite. Well, that may be the most damning, damaging criticism of all. He puts Job in the congregation of hypocrites and he says, Job, no wonder you're desolate because apparently you have conceived mischief and you have brought forth vanity and so now God is filling your belly with the fruits of all you have done. Boy. You know, it's one thing to have friends around us to tell us the truth about ourselves. 
But this is like taking out a fiery sword and just slicing Job to pieces. Of course, Eliphaz was wrong. His judgments of Job are unjust and uncharitable and unconsciousable. He is just wrong to think this is Job's destiny. But his words are very useful. And I'll conclude with this today. As I said a moment ago, we need to hear very often, especially today, what the destiny of those who turn from God is. Why is this? Because when we live in the middle of, middle of rebellious times, we need to remember what Jesus, what Jesus said in Matthew 24. When iniquity bounds, the love of many grows cold. And it's easy to think the wicked are prospering. Those who compromise are getting ahead and they're getting rich and they're building this and they're gaining over here. Again, look at the athletes, the celebrities, the politicians. And the corruption all around. And it seems if you are corrupt, you get ahead. But we need to remember that even if the wicked seem smug and prosperous and they wage bitter war against God, and he seems to not respond, oh, beloved, he has not forsaken his children. We may wonder, God, where is your lightning from above? Look, look at all these babies being slaughtered in the womb. And now their body parts are being cannibalized for science. Look at all the perversion that is being recognized as the new morality. Look at all the lies being told. Benghazi. I don't know where those emails went. Blatant deception every single day. Lord. Where is the lightning from heaven? It's easy in these times, like Lot, to have souls that are vexed. Living in Sodom and Gomorrah on the one hand, Lord, so, Lot's soul was vexed. He was burdened. On the other hand, remember, he wouldn't leave. An angel had to literally drag him out. And this is a weird dynamic if you put these two things together. He hated what was going on. He, he resisted what he saw. But he himself had become weakened by the influences there. He, he, he even offered his daughters to the perverts. And yet, he's called a righteous man. You, you see, this is what happens when we live in evil times and in evil places. Our barriers are broken down. We feel some sense of wanting to honor God, and yet he's not honored. And so that burdens us. And we see our own sins, and that burdens us. And we worry what's the influence of this on our children going to be. And when iniquity abounds, the love of many for God, Scripture says, grows cold. And yet... God doesn't always send lightning, does he? No, he doesn't. God is usually content to save one man, one family at a time. He chooses long-suffering toward his enemies. And by this, he sets an example of patience for us. God does. We must remember the patience of Job. We are commanded to remember the patience of Job. 
But what, we are, what are we really doing? We're really remembering the patience of God, His long-suffering. And beloved, that's our salvation. If He would have ended life decades ago, none of you would be here today. So when we suffer, when we are fearful, when we wonder, what is the outcome? We have to do what Jesus did. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. And beloved, these verses are worthy to memorize and hold fast to. Beginning in verse 21. For even here unto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. You see, he not only suffered to save us, but also to leave us an example that we should, it says, follow in his steps, who committed no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled or ridiculed, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteousness. So what do we have to do? No reviling, no threatening. If our enemy slaps us on one cheek, kiss them on the other. How do we do this, you ask? Well, this is what we have to believe. We have to believe in a God who judges on the earth. You get that? We have to believe in a God who judges on the earth. Just because he doesn't judge like we think would be good and useful in our lifetime. And let me tell you, our lifetime is like that of grasshoppers. That doesn't mean there is not a judge. And, when we, and we have to remember, there is a reward for righteousness. And that reward is coming, beloved. And we have to hold fast to it. Our labors are never in vain in the Lord. We must remember that God has not forgotten our cries. But He does often allow evil to increase, to get us crying to Him. But Lord, we've lost a lot of ground. Why are you letting the wicked prosper? Why aren't all these lies being judged right now? Because I want you to cry. Why is the pressure mounting on godly men and women in this particular area? I want you to cry. I want you to learn to pray again. Because when you cry, when the church as a whole learns to pray earnestly and prays with perseverance, God will work and He will deliver us. That is His promise, my friends. He says He will beautify the meek with salvation. So we must learn in these evil times to walk by faith and not allow the boldness of the wicked to quench our love for our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's a funny thing. Discipleship and obedience and love for God are things that are particularly prominent in evil times. I mean, why is Lot so prominent in Gomorrah? Well, even with all of his problems, he was the godly man in Gomorrah. Joseph in Egypt, he was the godly man in Egypt. 
Daniel in Babylon, he was the godly man in Babylon, and that is why these men stood out. Will you? In Psalms 119, Psalm 119, verses 126 through 127, we see this dynamic. More great verses to hold on in this particular age. On the one hand, David prays, It is time for the Lord to work, for they have made void thy law. Lord, please do something. Please work. Please deliver your church. Please unify your church. Please deliver us all from evil. Please please lead us not into temptation. Please deliver and honor your word and your truth and the gospel of your Son. But on the other hand, verse 127, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. In other words... The more we see sin and iniquity increasing around us, the more we are to love God's word and to resolve to love him and to take that word boldly out into the communities and the highways and the byways and to preach it without worrying about the consequences. And we do so, of course, waiting in the hope of the day of reckoning When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in glory, taking vengeance on those who know not God and obey not the gospel, he will, he will be loved and adored by all those who see him and love him. He will be seen in his beauty and in his glory and in his authority. And his every foe will kiss his feet and confess that he is Lord of all. So what are we to do? We are to labor for that hour, even in the midst of our suffering. On that day, beloved, all our sufferings and all of our tears will be repaid ten million fold. One glimpse on the morning, on that morning, when you hear with your own ears, Come forth, Stephen. Come forth, David. Come forth, Joe. Come forth, Jeff. Come forth, Don. Come forth, Jay. Come forth, Bob. When you hear with your own ears the voice of the living God say to you, come out of your graves. All of the pain of this world will be forgotten in an instant. His will Done, my good and faithful servant, will be like the sunrise of eternal dawn. There will be no shadow of diminishing joy and diminishing glory. These are the things, beloved, we are to think on in these times. These are the things, as we think on them, that will help us possess our souls in patience. This heavenly mindedness makes us patient on earth and patient in our suffering because we know absolutely for sure our labors for Christ are never, never, never in vain. Oh, beloved, be faithful in the little things every day. And he promises that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Nothing is powerful enough to oppose a faithful church. Christ is the victorious King. And we've been told that every tongue shall confess Christ and that every knee, every knee will bow before Him. 
And because it's in here, beloved, you can absolutely count on it. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your promises to us and your goodness to us. Thank you for the hope that is laid up for us in the gospel. Oh, help us to hate sin. Help us to love righteousness. And help us to cling to all that is good. And to walk faithfully with you for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 